0: Hello, hello, oh, every week, I'm not sure, uh, I know what the problem is, it's just, I forget to solve the problem every time, so, um, well, if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and flip to the book of Habakkuk, we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 5 through 20, and if you need help finding it, Do not be ashamed to use your table of contents. I had to do it this morning as uh, I was flipping there. So uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 5 through 20. So to refresh ourselves with what's been going on in this book so far, Habakkuk has found himself prophesying in the land of Judah, but the problem is no one is listening. Uh, no, one is, no one cares about the word of the Lord that is coming to them. And because they refused to listen to the Lord, it was bad. There was violence and strife all around them, pure evil. And, and then because of this, Habakkuk raises his complaint to the Lord, and, and he says, God, from what I'm seeing here, you're not listening to me. From what I'm seeing here, you're not being very timely. And from what I am seeing here, your decisions don't make any sense. He wanted God to exert justice on the injustice that was happening. And then God adjusts Habakkuk perspective. And he says, Habakkuk, I'm tempted not to say Job or Hebrews or something. I've just been all over the place in my books. So Habakkuk, I am listening everything I do is on purpose and uh, everything I do is in the right time. And in fact, what I am doing is raising up the Chaldeans to come and exert uh, justice on you. And then Habakkuk says, I don't like that plan. Uh, that is not what I had in mind. And, uh, and then he raises another complaint and we saw last week that Habakkuk raises another complaint. And, and what we saw last week is that at the beginning, he, he has a four-step process. He considers what he knows about God. Then he he questions God and says, okay, this is what I know is true about you. Why is there so much evil happening all around me? And then Habakkuk resolves to wait on the Lord. Uh, he says, I will watch guard at my watch post. I will wait on you. And then we get God's answer to that problem in Habakkuk 2.4. So let's read this pivotal verse together. Habakkuk 2.4 says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. In this verse, there's two types of people. Uh, The puffed up person whose soul is not right within him, and then the righteous one who lives by his faith. So we continue on with God's response to Habakkuk and verses 5 through 20 and what we what we see in these verses is God detailing who this first kind of person is this puffed up person in soul so that's what verses 5 through 20 are is God detailing who this kind of person is and and just before we f- jump into it i we want to think about what puffed up means so another way uh, well in the original language this indicates being swollen up with a tumor is what this word means. So he says, Behold, this is a kind of person who whose pride is puffed up with a, a tumor, like bad puffed up, not a good puffed up. It's his pride. Uh, the pride is swelling up a person. So let's read these woe articles against this puffed up person. In verses five through twenty, and then we'll pray uh, for understanding, for God's help uh, as we as we dive in. So, verse five says this: "Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never ha- or he has never enough. He gathers for himself." all nations. He collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence done to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach... Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it, or and there's no breath in it at all. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we we come before you this morning, relying on you. Father, we live by faith, and that applies to even now. I pray that each of us would have faith that you will reveal your truth in your word this morning, not because of me, but because your word is living and active, because your spirit is alive within each one of us. I pray that you would take a passage that seems uh, so unfamiliar to us and just break through with what you intended to mean uh, through, through Habakkuk 2, 5 through 20. We're dependent on you, Lord. We need you this morning. Move me out of the way, uh, so that so that people here can see Christ, not me. Uh, and it's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. So the language in Habakkuk, verses t- or chapter two, five through twenty, is meant to grip us. It's meant to cause us to. I mean, when we read woes, we're meant to say, "Whoa!" That's my that's my one joke or one play on words here. So. So what is a woe? A woe is, a woe is divine judgment. It is God who's pronouncing judgment on the enemies of the Israelites. God is pronouncing woes or judgments on the Chaldeans. But the word for, for woe also indicates lament. It's not, it's not God. Or it, it indicates sadness. God is, the, the picture we get here is not... God joyfully doing this like I can't wait to do this now the picture that we get is sorrow it's lament in the judgment in fact the word for woe here in the original Hebrew is an onomatopoeia so anybody who's in school what is it I mean who's had school I didn't I had to be refreshed on what an onomatopoeia was a few years back so what is an onomatopoeia anybody what Claire yes English teacher here we go yeah, so it's a word that's associated with how it sounds, so like bam or pow, like in the comic strips with Batman, the big, the big words like that. So the, the, the onomatopoeia that we get is, the word for woe is meant, it, 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 is, res, it is the sound of a raven squawking. So I'm not going to do that because <laughs> I would be embarrassed. But think about with each impending woe, each five of them, it, it rings like a raven squawking and that 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 idea that we get in our head is like a raven sitting over the judgment and and, and calling out to it and with each one it rings. i mean it just like digs deeper and deeper as we read like oh my gosh and we we feel the heaviness of these woes and i just i just find it interesting that the woe here it's kind of with minor prophets and this kind of language we got to figure out who is the one who's doing the action, who's the one who's receiving it, everything. So the woes here are not against the the Israelites, they're not against God's people, but the woes are against the Chaldeans, are against the enemies of God's people. It's against the ones that God is raising up to judge Israel. They will not escape for their sins, even though God is using them for for his purposes. They're not going to escape for the sins and the evil they're doing. So in these woes, as Brandon said, we see the depth and we see the brevity of our sin. Not only the Chaldean sin, but the sin of the whole world. So let's jump in. Verse five of our text acts kind of like a thesis statement for the rest of the woes. Verse five says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has, or he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations, and collects as his own all peoples so the first truth that we see in this passage is this the puffed up or the prideful person the puffed up person seeks to satisfy himself the puffed up person seeks to satisfy himself did you hear that in verse five when we read that thesis statement an arrogant man his greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough Right from the onset here, this puffed up person is described who's one who, who partakes in things, who never has enough of the things he partakes in, and he, he takes and takes and takes. Look with me at verse 6 to see more about the self-satisfying person. And notice the language of this verse. He, uh, Habakkuk, not Hebrews, Habakkuk 2, verse 6. Woe to him who heaps, or starting with the woe, yeah woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long he loads himself with pledges the word uh, when we think about pledges the word indicates or the word in in the in the original language uh, can be described as loading yourself with pledges uh, within a cloud of dirt is how it's translated in other parts of the bible so the picture that we get here is someone who makes profit for themselves And gains things, but the way he does it has to be covered up in a cloud of dust or a cloud of dirt. So God is condemning the person who goes to any extent to make a buck, who goes to any extent uh, to to, to gain. He does so by covering up, by by lying in order to justify himself. Keep tracking with me. Verse 9, the next woe, he says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house who to set his nest on high, only seeking to gratify what? Himself, his house. When we think about the Chaldean rulers of the time, their goal, one of their main goals in life for a Chaldean ruler was to establish their own supremacy. It was to establish their own name so that their name would be everlasting, so their name would not die out with the impending generations. That was one of their that was one of the main goals in life for a, a Chaldean ruler was to establish their own name. Verses 15 and 16. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them get drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. I'm stopping right there. God's judgment is on them because according to verse 16. What are they seeking? Their own glory. It says, I'm, I'm going to, utter shame is going to come instead of what you really want, which is your own glory. The Chaldeans were people who took what was not their own. They only cared for their own name, and they, they only sought to gratify themselves through fleeting pleasures in this world. But uh, you know what is true their houses were eventually forgotten. After they got drunk, seeking to glorify themselves, what? They woke up the next morning to headaches, probably, and shame. Gratifying self never satisfies. And we saw that in verse 5. Verse 5 says, his greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. And I just want to boil this down to us now. Aren't we all the same? Like, don't we do the very same things? Each one of us, I know it's true for me, might not be true for you. Actually, it is true for you. Each one of us naturally are self-satisfiers. We seek to gratify what we want to do, what we want. And as I was studying for this, the thought just hit me. I was like, man, how many times whenever I have success in my life, whenever I experience something good, do I credit literally everything else except for the Lord? My, my, our, my, our intelligence, our social skills, our wealth, our assets, our logic, our pride, our families, our family's successes. How often do we credit ourselves instead of credit, crediting the Lord, who is, as James 1.17 says, the giver of every good and perfect thing. And whatever it be, I mean, our intelligence, what will happen? we will get old and start to lose a little bit of the sharpness of our brains. Our wealth, uh, it will not last forever. Our pride, there's always going to be somebody who's better than us, who intimidates us. So I just say this to say, it never satisfies. <laughs> it never, ever does. Verse 5 says, like death, he never has enough. So the, so the, the puffed up person does First they, they seek to satisfy themselves, but, but truth number two that we see in our text is that the puffed up person seeks to satisfy himself at the expense of others. So the puffed up person seeks to satisfy himself at the expense of other people. Let's go back and let's go back to verse six and look at this theme as we, uh, as we read. Verse 6 says, woe to him. Well, starting with the woe, not the beginning, starting with the woe. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And he loads himself with pledges. Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations. The practice of the Chaldeans towards their enemies was to steal from them. And stealing is not a one-sided endeavor. When you take something from someone, you leave the other person broke and probably pretty mad at you. On the other side of the plundering, in verse 8, are plundered nations. There's actual people on the other side. Verse 9 and 10, read it with this truth in mind of at the expense of other people. Verse 9, woe to him who gets his evil gain for his house to set... Let me read that again. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. Verse 9 tells us that the felt need to build, or verse 9 tells us that they felt a need to build their houses above everybody else. To hide, to try to be safe from the danger that was happening. And, and I saw this clearly. I was in Haiti in a mission trip in 2015, and um, I remember we were, we were there and we were in the midst of this, you know, poverty and really just intense poverty. People in the streets, bathing on the side of the streets, just living there and just masses of people. And one day we were traveling to a destination where we were going to serve. And in the midst of all this poverty, uh, we looked up as we were driving and there was this like beautiful white estate, uh, up on the hill. And literally the only trees in the area were guarding this estate. This estate was like colonial. It had white fences all around it. And it comes to find out that that is a governing, that's a person in government's home. And uh, when I found that out, you know, the the government in Haiti is super corrupt. Uh, They get their power. They get their wealth. They get their might through extorting and oppressing other people. And... And you know what that looks like. (laughs) Verse 9. Well, yeah. Verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high. To be safe from the reach of harm. That was just a clear example of people who, someone who got their wealth from extorting and oppressing others, hiding from that. Satisfying self, what? At the expense of other people. And just to pause here, before we think we're too good for this to apply to us, man I was at PJ's Coffee riding yesterday and I thought to myself don't we do the same thing with the sin in our hearts? Like with the sin that, that, that takes root in our hearts, sometimes we do everything to hide it. right? We build up trees around what's going on. We, we set a gate around it. We, we try to be safe from harm. We try to feel, be safe from the pain and the embarrassment that might come with with people knowing that about us, are sinning at the expense of others in our lives. We try to run and hide from it to have a false sense of security. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. In this third woe, God is condemning the violent way in which the Chaldeans would uh, treat their enemies. So in their pursuit of, of doing what? Of making a name for themselves, of building themselves up. They did it at the expense of people's very lives, like innocent bloodshed. And, and violence was the way for the Chaldeans. Brandon showed us last week in the text that how they treated their enemies, what they would treat them like, not humans, but they would treat them like fish. Remember, they would put hooks in their mouths and, and drag them along. They would put them in nets and tie them up behind their... Uh, transportation uh, and and drag them along all this was done so what so they could find joy in themselves so they could feel a sense of of puffed up so they could feel a sense of uh, of self-gratification and i think this theme of 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 puffing ourselves up and um self-gratifying at the expense of others is seen most clearly in verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. God here is exposing the way, perverse way at that, in which they set out to humiliate others. He describes in verse 15 that that they would set out to make others drunk. Not as a means to like, Hey, join the party. Let's have a good time. Let's all be, let's all, let's all do this together. No, 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 no. What does verse 15 says? It says you do this in order to, to gaze at their nakedness, in order to gaze at their shame. So evidently, what we see here is it was the practice of the Chaldeans to get people drunk, to manipulate them into compromising and degrading situations in public so that the whole town can gaze on what's going on. And this method of, of robbing people of their own self-respect, robbing people of their own will to resist, man, we, we see that even now with evil happening in the world, robbing people of their, their will to say no. All of this so they could find what in verse 16? Their own glory. God says, woe to these people. The puffed-up person seeks to satisfy himself at the expense of others, and and we do the very same thing. All of our sin is at the expense of other people. That's what it means to be in Christian community. Herman Bovink, a theologian, in his book, The Christian Family, says this, Adam and Eve sinned not only as individuals, as persons, but they sinned also as husband and wife, as father and mother. They were playing with their own destiny, with the destiny of their family and with the destiny of the entire human race. We each sin as humans connected to other humans, as husbands connected in covenant with our wives, as wives connected to their husbands, as parents connected to their children. And and I just think this is a lie that Satan likes to use often. Your sin's not affecting anybody else. Like, you can deal with it by yourself. And, uh, and that lie strips us from so much. That lie strips us from, from feeling the weightiness of our sin, that our sin not only affects us, but it, I mean, as Christians, we're the family of God. My sin, our sin, affects everybody in this room. And it, it strips us of our, the weightiness of it. It strips us of our resolve to fight the sin. It strips us of the victory that we find. So our sin is always at the expense of others. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let him win. The third thing we see is this. The puffed up person is committing idolatry. The puffed up person is committing idolatry. And hopefully at this point you'll say, duh, that's what they're doing. They're satisfying themselves. But I want to get there first. So look at verse The last woe that that God pronounces against them is found in verses 18 through 19. And, And this is what he says. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? No. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it at all. So after all these woes, after all these indictments on the people, we've come to the bottom line. And it's this, woe to the person who's committing idolatry, who's going after false gods. But like I said, isn't it idolatry that they've been committing the whole time? Seeking to satisfy who? Themselves. Not glorify God. Seeking to do that at the expense of others. And I mean, you can see it clearly in this passage, but also you can see it in our very lives. Idols have the unique and insane ability to take over uh, the place in our hearts that only God is, it has the right to have. Claiming a trust that, that, that is, is reserved only for the maker of us. Commenter David Pryor says this. The idolatry of the Chaldeans may have been viewed as the source of all other atrocities previously mentioned. Because their religious orientation was wrong, their moral standards had been had to be perverted. As the creator of gods who could not speak, they had to make up their own standard for a way of life. I mean, their quest for self-glory had, had led them to gain at the expense of... of of abusing others, as, as being violent to others, because why? They had to make their own standard, and when they make their own standard, what do we know as humans? We're pretty sinful, and we make the standard pretty bad, and we just praise God that he's revealed himself in the commandments, so that we can know how to live. Um, if they, I mean, the sense that we get is, if they were worshiping the right God, they wouldn't have this mess, but because they're worshiping the wrong God, we see the devastation that takes place. And we see Paul comment on idolatry being the essence of all evil in Romans 3, uh, 19, or no, Romans 3, sorry, Romans 1, 22 through 23, when Paul says this, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Man, just because of the nature of the sin of idolatry, worshiping yourself, like, worshiping yourself is just as vile as constructing an image and putting it uh, in, on your mantle. Like when I was in Taiwan, we would, at, uh, me and Bethany went on a mission trip to Taiwan back in the day in college, and um, at night when we were walking around, in, like, the majority of people's homes, you would see a red light, and our uh, our person said, Um, or our missionary said the red light is the, the 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 stands of idolatry the altars that are lit all throughout the night and I remember thinking man that's really bad that's really bad and now I'm saying I do the very same thing I don't do it I don't make it but I do it in my heart this means that all of us are guilty of the sin of idolatry all of us are guilty against this woe that God is bringing against the Chaldeans all of us have indeed exchanged the truth that we know about God for lies. Whether it be the lie that our comfort is the most important thing in life, that we just want to get to that place where we feel like we don't have to worry about our bills or worry about what's going on. We just want to be comfortable. That is a lie. Whether it be the lie that that your family's events are the most important thing happening, way more important than God and the family of the church. That's a lie. Whether it be the lie that you can control your addiction, you just ah, need a little bit more time, it's not that bad. That's a lie. Whether it be the lie that, that that you must earn a certain amount of money, have a certain amount of zeros in a certain bank account to make you feel like you've got it now, that's a lie. It's idolatry. It's all self-serving at the expense of others. I mean, I felt I felt the sin of idolatry in my heart this week. I, I said this uh, for a quip. I was teaching a quip this past week, and we're in uh, the Minor Prophets, so it's kind of a lot of the same, some similar themes, not all the same, but some similar themes, and, and I confess this to the dudes. Um, for those of you who don't know, this weekend was the start of March Madness, or the men's NCAA basketball tournament. And we didn't have it last year, so it's been two years. And from Kentucky... Basketball is like, I mean, Rep Arena where Kentucky plays is basically like the biggest mega church uh, in the state, and uh, and I found myself this week trying to justify watching basketball at the expense of spending time with the Lord. Like, not even watching basketball, getting on Twitter first thing in the morning and looking at like news, like oh somebody's out with an ankle injury, instead of um, spending time with the God of the universe. Man, I felt myself even at the expense of of, um, preparing, (laughs) wanting to to have basketball on. And Bethany can attest to that. Don't ask for too much about it. Um, And I'll just confess this. I mean, my idol of basketball had taken over the throne, or not even watching basketball, had taken over the throne uh, that God is meant to sit on and God alone. Uh, This is a sin, although it sounds funny, against a holy God. So what happens to this puffed up person? The last truth that we see uh, is this. The puffed up person will meet their end. The puffed up person will meet their end. So this is seen in all of the woes. Uh, In all of the woes there's a structure to them and at the beginning he says, you're doing this and then at the end he says you're doing this but there's a this is going to happen to you. So there's like a taunt in each one of the woes. We saw that in in the first one, verse 6. Let's just read it and and notice the structure. He says, Woe to him who heaps up for what is not his own. For how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtor suddenly arise? And those who awake will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them. So that's what's happening. And then verse 8, he says, Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people's, Shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So that's that's the thing. That's kind of the, the the structure that we see in in the woes. And and I'm not going to go through all of them, but we just need to talk about what justice looks like, real quick. So what? Yes, sometimes with these the people people who are committing super evil sins on earth. Sometimes we see that they do meet their end temporally. We see them, nations fall. Even historically, the Chaldeans fell. God caused them to to fall pretty epically. But sometimes, doesn't it just feel like evil is constantly winning? Like Sometimes we look around us and say, I trust that they're going to meet their end, but I wish I would see it a little sooner. Um, But Habakkuk adjusts our perspective. And we see that the puffed-up person, yes, sometimes will meet their end like by falling, but more than that, the puffed up person will meet their eternal end. Verse 14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is terrifying news to the puffed up person that God's glory is inescapable. Uh, I was watching a sh- on. Shark Week is one of my favorite weeks, or it used to be one of my favorite weeks of the year. Cable TV, you know, it's kind of gone by the wayside. But it used to be one of my favorite weeks of the year, and I remember this one show, and it terrified me when I was a little kid. These people got lost at sea, and uh, they were in their little, like, boat, and there were sharks surrounding them, but that wasn't the scary part for me. The scary part was that every direction they looked at, there was just water. Every direction they looked at, they couldn't see land. They couldn't see anything. It was just water. And, uh, and then as I was praying, I was like, man, that, that is what God's glory is going to be like. Everywhere we look, it will be God's glory covering like waters that cover the sea. And, and that means that nothing else can stand. <laughs> Everything else will be swallowed up, whether it be the idols that we make or all of their kingdoms, all of their cities will be drowned. Because God alone can stand. God's glory is inescapable. Verse 20, the last verse in our text says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence or keep hushed before him. Just like verse 14 with God's glory, the promise of God's glory being across the world, this is likewise like a terrifying thought to the puffed up person that that God sees, and God knows, and God is above it all. So in the last pronouncement, I love that, in the last pronouncement against the Chaldeans, there's nothing more that can be said, for they will be hushed. And the same is true for us now. In light of God's judgment, we have no argument. We will all be silent before him. Romans 3.19 says this, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Everyone will face God. Everyone will be held accountable to the Lord. Man, what a, what a terrifying and sobering thought. At the judgment of God that is coming, no one will have an argument by saying, well, i I did do these things, not to be that guy, Lord, but I I did, I did do, I did do pretty well. No, everyone is guilty. No one will be able to voice an objection and and one day God will silence all those that oppose him and all will be humbled when we see his face. Isaiah 2, 17 says this, the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of man will be abased, for the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. This is the final indictment. All are guilty. All are judged by God. And all idols will be hushed. So how can I, how can I say that we feel this too? Like how, how do I have the audacity to say, you know, the Chaldeans looked bad, right? They were murdering people and they were abusing people, but we're guilty of it too. Like how... How can I say that? Well, God in His providence had us read Galatians this week, and those who are um, following along with the Bible plan. And uh, man, I was reading this in my quiet time, and like it just hit me so hard. Uh, Galatians three ten says this: For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things." written in the book of the law, and do them. So what do we see from Galatians here? We're all under a curse. Why? Because we've not done God's law perfectly. Like that's the standard is perfection. One thing. We're not perfect. And I just think our perspective changes whenever we realize that, I mean, what what is the first and greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a lot of us think I, I think sometimes pretty good at that one. Like, I, I love the Lord, but how often do I love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I can tell you, not a day goes by where I don't fail at that commandment. I break that commandment every day. So before we get puffed up ourselves, before we read this, these woes and say, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm better off than them. I've got you, news for you. You're not better Each one of us seeks to to satisfy ourselves. Each one of us seeks self-glory, to be satisfied by the things we do and work for. Each one of us seeks self-glory to the detriment and pain of others in our lives. Each one of us has committed idolatry in our hearts by worshiping the created things rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And each one of us will meet our end one day. And you know what will stand? You know what will be true on that day? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, verse 20 will also be true. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And on that day, when we meet our end, how can these verses be good news to us? When we read them and we think to our, I mean, we read them and they're pretty weighty. They're pretty heavy. So how can verse 20 be good news? That the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Remember back in verse four that there's two types of people, right? There was the puffed up person, but also the end of verse four, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So, how do we escape the judgment of God here? How does this turn into good news? How do we become the righteous person? Like, I don't want to experience those woes. How do I? How do I? How do I escape that? Let's go back. Or yeah, let's go back to Galatians three and read verses ten through fourteen. It'll be on the screen. I read this in PJs yesterday. I'm glad. Blythe was there too. I'm glad she was turned the other way because I was crying. Um, So verse 10 says this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before before God by the law for the righteous shall live by his faith. That should sound familiar to you. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And praise be to God. That Jesus took our sin upon himself. Jesus took all of the judgment that is due the Chaldeans, all the judgments that do the whole world, and he took it upon himself. Man, One of the clearest taunts that God gives to the Chaldeans is found in verse 15. or Sorry, sorry, it's found in 16. And this is in the context, remember, of the Chaldeans causing others to get drunk and and causing them to be uh, shamed. And then he says in 16, he says, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory drink yourself show your uncircumcision the lord the cup of the lord is in his right hand will come around to you or sorry the cup of the lord in the lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory and there's a handful of times in the scriptures where we see this image of the cup of god's wrath and one of them that should for some of us like say yeah 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 is when Jesus is praying in the garden he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says this in Matthew 26 Then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me and then going a little farther Jesus fell on his face he fell on his face and prayed my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will So this cup here contains the sin of the world. This is the same image of the cup that we see, that that God's judgment is being poured out on the Chaldeans. So Jesus, in this moment, he knew that the only way to bring salvation to sinners, the only way to save a corrupt, violent world, was for Jesus to drain the cup upon himself. To drink the cup upon himself. And you know what Jesus did? He drank the cup. His blood was shed for this world. His blood was shed for you and for me. Verse 16 of Habakkuk 2. Man, I'm taking some liberties here, but Jesus will have his fill of shame instead of glory on that day. He drank for himself and he showed his shame. The cup of the Lord's right hand came to him. And utter shame came upon him instead of glory. Jesus became the shame. He humbled himself to the lowest point. Death on a cross. Why did he do it though? So that we would never have to face the woes that are found in Habakkuk 2. He did it so we would never have to face the judgment of God. He, by his blood, does what? Declares us righteous. He doesn't make it possible for us to Okay, I've done this for you. Now you just got to do a little bit more and then you'll get there. No, 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 no. He declares us righteous because of his blood. And that is how we live. That's how we escape the judgment. And now Christ extends his cup to you this morning. But guess what? It's not a cup of wrath. It's the cup of the new covenant. Matthew 26, he says, Jesus, it says this. And Jesus took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it all you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus offers you this cup this morning. I don't have these takeaways. I don't have takeaways in here, but I'll just say two things. If you're not a Christian, Jesus is extending the cup to you. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to him, but he is extending it to you. And you know how he has the ability to do that? Because he drank the cup of judgment upon himself so that you don't have to face it. And if you are a Christian, the same is true. Come to Jesus. <laughs> like, like turn your eyes upon Jesus. He drank the cup for you and for me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God we pray that even in this moment we would take a posture of humility like this these these chapters or these verses cause us to do. I pray that even in this moment we would be still and silent before you. I pray that we would know that you are in your holy temple, that you alone are God, that you alone are holy and that we are not. I pray that you would cause us to hate our sin. Not as a means to earn our justification, but as a response to that. And I pray that each one of us would come to Jesus, would throw ourselves upon the cross of Christ, not trying to better ourselves by it, uh, like make ourselves look better, but as a means to say, we need you, God. You're our only way to life. So it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's stand and respond in song.